One step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. Alright, and welcome everybody to another episode and another season of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 1301, recorded the week of Monday, March 1st, 2021. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene McCulloch. Welcome, Gene. Hey, Sawyer, how are you doing this fine, fine evening? Doing great. Glad it is no longer 2020. Amen to that. Welcome as well, Kat Robinson. Very excited to be here. Excited to have you with us. And by the way, we didn't get to say this to you on the recording last time, but we did give a shout out. Congratulations, Dr. Kat Robinson. Thanks so much. Just want to make sure we acknowledge that. And welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Good to be here. Let's go. Let's do it. And as we always like to remind listeners at the start of the season, no, this is not our 1,301st episode. This is season 13, episode one. And every new year, we restart with a new season. So let's kick things off with the season of Mars. Uh, In 2020, three missions launched to the Red Planet. And amazingly, all three of them arrived in 2021, all within about a week and a half of each other. So let's go chronologically, and we will start with the first mission that arrived at the Red Planet, and that was launched by the United Arab Emirates, and that was called Hope. Yes, Sawyer, the uh, the mission, uh, the whole purpose of the Hope mission, if I'm looking at their website correctly, is to, one, to understand the uh, climate dynamics and the uh, global weather of Mars, uh, to explain how it changes, um, and to try to figure out the uh, the escape of hydrogen and oxygen um, in the lower atmosphere, and to also understand um, its structure and trying to figure out what uh, what's really going on with the ap- atmosphere of Mars. But also, too, this was really the UAE's first mission uh, to another world. And, uh, I mean, okay, the, the probe itself was built by uh, the folks over at UC Boulder, um, but it was still... It was still a UAE mission, and there was a lot of celebratory uh, moments coming out of that when when, uh, we learned that uh, Hope entered into a gentle orbit around Mars. Uh, There was a lot of pomp and circumstance. I mean, the the world's 
tallest building was used sort of as a as a billboard, if you will, for a large presentation, complete with um, uh, a, a symphonic live uh, uh, accompaniment. Uh, the people of the UAE were just so proud of this mission, as uh, as we learned, and we learned quite you know, quite nicely through uh, an announcement over at their mission control center that indeed that the probe was was in orbit. Uh, a lot of hard work by a lot of people, not only just in that particular region, but also. Um, the, uh, the you know the, I believe the DSN here in uh, uh, in the United States was also port- supporting the mission, and uh, this too may go ahead and play a, a key role uh, going forward in uh, Mars exploration, understanding the atmosphere a little bit better. Uh, so it was uh, indeed you know hats off to the UAE, welcome to the club, and uh, really really looking forward to uh, to some of the data that this mission is going to go ahead and deliver for us. The first image that the uh, Hope mission sent back to, I don't know if you've all had a chance to see it, but it was really beautiful. You could see um, sort of Mars, uh, uh, I cannot think of the word. You don't see the whole planet, but you see the shadow. (laughs) And uh, you can see three shield volcanoes in it. I mean, it's just an absolute uh, gorgeous image. So if you haven't seen some of the images that's been sent back from Hope, I, I encourage you to check them out, but especially just look at that first image. It's, it's just absolutely beautiful. It looks like a, um, like an Earthrise image, except for more like an Mars rise image. Yeah, I should throw in, I was a little bit remiss as far as, uh, who got them there. Uh, it was, uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, with uh, one of the, uh, their, uh, I believe it was the H2 uh, launch vehicle. So, again, this was a, an international collaboration. Uh, you had uh, the United States collaborating with, uh, with the HOPE team, and you had, uh, you had the folks over in Japan going in and collaborating with the team. So, uh, a huge uh, international collaboration collab going on here and it, it kind of just echoes what's going on with the ISS and what's going on with with uh, uh, other Mars expeditions and we'll be getting to that soon. And another just cool fact about this mission is that um, of the entire team about a third of the team were women but the science team 80% of it were actually women which I think was pretty cool um, to see you know, the UAE have um, so many women just figuring prominently within the mission. Um, and they showed that, you know, in their, their live broadcast as well, too. Um, but it was just inspiring to see a science team so full of women. And then just the overall mission is about a third woman. And so that's something that I know uh, myself and a bunch of others were discussing on the day um, of the mission. So that's always an exciting thing to see. Um, and we should also mention that the UAE is only the fifth nation to successfully reach Mars, um, and it was the first Arab nation to do so. It was, again, like you said, seeing the Burj Khalifa, the largest building in the world, lighting up with all the celebration, seeing Twitter erupt with the celebration. It was a whole international mission, an international celebration. I think that was really cool, just uniting both halves of the globe together with one of the first of three Mars missions. Yeah, indeed. And uh, uh, again, I believe Hope may actually uh, play a role later on in uh, the communications network in and around Mars, too, because uh, 
Uh, there, we have a few probes out there that are getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, so uh, I'm sure later on, Hope is going to go ahead and play a play a key role in uh, communications in and around the Red Planet as we get more and more of our uh, of our communications network together around there, and that's going to really, really play a critical critical piece um with uh, other missions going forward and we're going to get into those other missions uh in a little bit exactly so we had hope arriving on february 9th 2021 fast forward about 24 hours later february 10th 2021 and we get to mission number two and that was the chinese spacecraft tianwen one which is the second of our three missions that successfully arrived at the Red Planet. Yeah, sorry, you want to talk about a uh, a whole, you know, d- d- just just a complete turnaround, uh, you know, a, a 180 of how we had to find out of on on, on how this mission was playing out. Uh, I the only way we were we were really really discovering what was going on with any of the uh, the entry burns or anything like that was through a uh, a German, uh, I believe, a German uh, uh, radio antenna that was basically tuned into the frequencies that the the probe was using, and the only way we were finding out was was through radio signals and their behavior um, as to if the probe had actually made it into uh, into orbit, and uh, we were just. Sitting here waiting to find out uh, as uh, uh, as it uh, you know got past um, some of the uh, uh, got around the planet and passed through uh, radio silence that indeed uh, China was in orbit around Mars for the first time. But there was no fanfare here. That was just sort of a uh, an initial announcement that the spacecraft had indeed arrived but it it was it was really guessing as to really what was going on with the uh with the mission uh right up to the 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 point when you know finally we got uh we we received a signal and said okay fine we're in orbit um but uh, you know it talk about you know a really contradiction in in uh in environment you had the UAE just so proud of the moment, and you know, regardless of what occurred, you know, you have to tip the hat to them. And by the way, I would have felt the same way about the Chinese if if their their mission had not exactly gone to plan, um, but they had they had tried. Um, I I would have felt the same way. I would have been, hey, you know, hey, they they tried, they gave it a shot, but the great galactic ghoul got them. But in this case, it didn't happen. But, you know, they kind of just sort of hid it under the rug until it was sort of official, which uh, I guess is, you know, very, very, I guess it's very Chinese to do at this. That's the only word I can come up with. It's very on brand. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Very Um, on brand. The cool thing about this is, you know, with the UAE, we had the fifth nation to to successfully reach Mars. And now China was the sixth nation in just, you know, the space of um, just over a day, which is exciting um, that they were able to to reach Mars, even though they did it in a much quieter fashion um, than we're used to, you know, when we saw um, ISRO 
um, India's uh, space agency reach Mars during the last Mars season. Um, you know, they did it also with a, a lot of um, publicity and fanfare, which is always great to see. Um, however, you know, this mission includes um, the rover and a lander. I guess I should say it includes a lander that has a rover. Yes. Um, so if any, if um, sort of the moon landings that China has done recently is anything to go by, hopefully we'll have more uh, video and um, coverage of the, the lander and the rover, um, which is what I'm hoping for because we know China um, has a history of putting a lot of great cameras on their, on their rovers. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. I don't know if we're going to have the same kind of coverage that uh uh we had from the UAE or even here from the United States on uh, on, on our next uh next uh, uh topic, but it would be nice to to have China go ahead and cover it that way and to to really watch the rover go down. And I think it's this summer that the lander is. Um, I, yes. I don't recall the exact dates, but uh, no earlier than April. But I think they're looking closer June, July uh, for the lander. It'll depend on, on different things. Um, and there's a couple people you can follow on Twitter who follow the um, Chinese space program more closely. I usually get a lot of my stuff from, uh, let me get his name. It's Andrew, and I'm just... Andrew Jones. I was about yeah, ready Andrew to give Jones. him. I was about yeah. ready to give him a shout out. Um, he he is. He, if if you really want to know somebody who has been reading, re, really reading the tea leaves um, on uh, on China and its space program, it's Andrew Jones. He's he's a freelance. You know, from what I could tell, he writes for several. Um, outfits mostly it's been space news re recently but he i've seen his work in in other places um and really if you, i believe he goes by twitter at, at aj underscore fi yes and according to him it looks like the rover landing attempt will follow in may so yeah, any if if anybody really really he he's pretty well attuned to uh, what's going on in China. In fact, I'm I, I if if I want to know what's going on with the Chinese program, I'm I'm watching him. And also another person to follow is um, uh, at Hani Persian. So H A N I Persian P E R S I N. He follows. Um, China, uh, Japan, and North Korea and aerospace industry. So he usually has some good, some good content as well. And one more I'm going to throw out there as far as trying to figure out the tea leaves um, with China, at least uh, was uh, was a handle they go by Cosmic Penguin, but um, they they too have some really interesting. Um, uh, anecdotes as far as what's going on in China. There's a few others too uh, that uh, come to that. It just I don't know. My old adult brain are just coming up, not coming up short with 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 all of these. Um, but and, and if I left people out, my dearest apologies because all of you. Now I've been following. There's there's a whole cadre of individuals out there that have been really really tied into the Chinese program, and I'm learning a bunch from those folks. So thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would know so much less about what was going on with with uh, Chinese aerospace and Chinese space programs if not for for those journalists and watchers who are on Twitter and sharing it with us. So hats off and thank you to all of them. 
I don't think any of us would really have an idea what was going on with CNSA if it wasn't for them. So yes, <laughs> always appreciated the people that somehow find a way to get through the uh, the media blackouts and bring it to us on this side of the globe. So uh, we talked about two of the three Mars missions. Now, I don't know if our listeners may have heard of this third Mars mission or not. I, I don't think they publicized it at all. It wasn't broadcast anywhere. But in case you're unaware, this was the Mars 2020 mission, better known as the Perseverance rover, launched by NASA on an Atlas V uh, back in 2020, which successfully arrived at the Red Planet February 18th which happened to be my birthday, so it was a great little gift for myself, as it then descended through its seven minutes of terror and successfully landed on the surface of Mars. And this one, uh, again, we're not just talking about a little signal here. We're talking about following all the way through. We had the eyes uh, with a representation of what was going on, and within about two minutes, we already had pictures from the Hazcams, the hazard cameras. Hey, hey, we skipped over the high point. That launch that you mentioned, that was on my birthday. That's very true. You're right. So we had a birthday to birthday. <laughs> very nice bookends for launch and landing there. Uh, thanks for, for arranging your births that way, guys. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Mark and I coordinated that for years, absolutely. And I think we may have a show title, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, this is an absolutely excellent thing to watch it's just exciting you know my favorite and most nerve-wracking period is that period where you're in sort of like schrodinger's landing that you're still getting the information back but the rover has either landed successfully or crashed and we don't know and there's that you know that um that time period while we're waiting for the communications delay and um my favorite thing was just seeing the people that are like you know what like at this point we've either been successful or we're not and I just always think, like, this is this is that moment. This is Schrodinger's landing or, you know, Schrodinger's orbital insertion, whatever it is. You know, you don't know whether or not the cat's alive or dead until you open the box. Um, but it was just beautiful. Like, the landing. I know if you all saw uh, the landing video, of course, you have. But I just loved that part where you could see at the end Sky Crane just having successfully uh, delivered the rover uh, to a safe, soft landing. And you can just see it in the rovers. Um, Hascams just go fly off. And it's just, it's um, it's cool. And then you sort of see its fiery finale also in the Hascam. So that was, that was really cool. I just can't get over the fact that we have a video of the landing. It's just beautiful. Yeah, that was a first for this mission as well, was being able to actually see the entire descent with a dedicated video camera uh, on the descent stage, so you could see the heat shield fall away, you see the rover come down, you see it do its little course correction to steer away as the back shell pops off, and again, that amazing footage from both on the rover and looking down the sky crane of seeing this thing descend, and it's amazing because you don't really see any thrusters like you'd think you would, but that's just because of the chemicals that were used. And just this beautiful image of it being lowered gently onto the surface. And then as the cable cuts off, that's also what cuts off the uh, the video feed. It was, if you haven't seen the video, it's absolutely stunning and a must watch. It was definitely an excellent season finale for Mars season. Yes. Indeed. Um, Al Shen, who is the uh, EDL officer for the for the flight, was also saying we were, were learning a lot. Now, 
through those cameras uh there were first off the um the rover itself is just just littered with cameras i believe there's like something like 25 of five camera cameras involved in this mission altogether but um he was saying too that we had never seen the shoot deployment from that that standpoint and um if anybody knows about all of the hard work that went into just getting the parachute geometry correct um that was just uh, a, a a a you know a sight to behold yeah the the parachute too just just called out the the JPL slogan which was dare mighty things but that was that that was neither here nor there the um just getting the the see the shoot perform they learned a lot a lot of things also uh both uh cat and sawyer you pointed out the uh um, the engines. There was that actually was an inner. You couldn't see the 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 any of of the contrail from from the engines firing, but you did see from the ground some of what the engines were doing to the ground, and it was something that they said, "Hey, we we now figure out how much dust we've kicked up and so on." So later on, they could figure out, "Hey, um, we know how much dust these engines kick up. How much is going to kick up?" when we land something bigger than this so the, they're they're taking a lot of lessons from this while it was fantastic footage and we actually saw sky crane work um i mean it looked like something out of a science fiction movie uh the father of sky crane um uh, I, I believe dr adam selsner i believe believe his name is um forgive me if i'm i'm messing his last name up he had never seen sky crane performed before and here we were and 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 people were calling a time when you know what mark if you remember what when when we were over there for uh uh for the mars science laboratory or curiosity when it took off they were all talking about sky crane and people were kind of looking looking around at each other like these people are crazy because of of the way sky crane works but gosh darn it the thing worked worked marvelously for msl it worked again flawlessly for uh for perseverance so i you know and we got a video of it yeah and and (laughs) so the coolest thing is there's a video you can see sky crane flying away so we're watching an alien spacecraft on another world (laughs) Exactly. Pretty away. much, yes. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely, I mean, there's so many cool things about this mission. And I mean, of course, any mission coming out of JPL, like, they're the biggest nerds. And I say that in the most loving and way possible, because I just love everybody um, over at JPL. Um, but there's just so many wonderful things about this mission, um, to the science, to sort of the level of thought, to the way that... Um, the media team at JPL has given all of their rovers and missions their own voices. They've given them human voices um, because these missions that go to Mars, they're robotic, but they carry the hopes and dreams of thousands of people back on Earth who've worked to build them or to run the science projects. And, um, you know, JPL deserves a huge shout out for what they do um, to make sure that the human element of these robotic Mars missions are never lost. And one of the things that I especially love about this rover, the Mars 2020 uh, rover, is that it carries a family portrait on it. Yes. Um, And that to me is just, you know, a detail like that is is important, right? because it, it helps us connect that human element to these missions. Um, you know, 
we ask like, why do we go to Mars? And there's, there's many reasons, scientific, technical. Um, but a lot of times, you know, for me, the most human thing we do is explore and, uh, be curious. And these types of things help us remind that these missions are, even though they don't carry a crew, these still are human missions. Yeah, agreed. I mean, if if first off, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Veronica McGregor, who was the one who really, really got NASA on Twitter to begin with. But she was the one who started the uh, the whole persona with um, the uh, Mars Phoenix lander. And she was the one, the voice behind that. So, and that kind of led, that kind of just snowballed NASA onto uh, to Twitter and social media in general. So, I'm going to give her a, a big shout. Also, out. organized was, the first tweet up at NASA. The GPL yes, she tweet did. Up. Yeah, I was. I, you, 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 you took you took the words right from me. Um, but uh, yeah, she was she was one of the she was really really instrumental in, in getting a lot. Uh, going with social media and uh, and and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and later on NASA in general. So, um, Veronica, great job. Uh, the other thing too is you to humanize the, the the perseverance a little further. There is a tribute to um, th- those battling the the pandemic uh, during this period of time. Um, yeah, on board, there's a small plaque there that that gives them recognition uh because this was such a this that, that this whole period of time has been just um an, an amazing unprecedented period and the the team had to go ahead and work through all of that to get this thing going and uh a lot of folks didn't think they, they were going to make that that uh that window that and that little corner of time that you have to launch in order to get get uh, get the spacecraft to mars but uh, we we pulled it off last summer and lo and behold here we are um there was two quick things a- first off I do want the that sticker for the back of my car instead of my family. You know, like the you see the stick figure families. I want my Mars rover family. <laughs> Somebody mentioned that actually. Somebody said it reminded them of the stick figure family that you see in some of these car windows. Seen, yeah, I've already seen some people on Twitter saying they're going to get the tattoo. So some people are taking it even further than the sticker on the back of their car and are planning to ink that on their their uh, their skin. That's. <laughs> dedication i guess (laughs) to each their own but that's pretty cool and the other reminder is there's another thing on board which i I think is what you're probably about to mention gene is there's names of millions of people from this planet on that rover as well on a tiny chip so not only is there a commemoration to the people who are trying to get through the pandemic and a commemoration to rovers past and present, but there is also that little extra bit of humanity and people from Earth whose names are now forever on Mars. Indeed, my uh, my name's there, um, and uh, I have some uh, uh, late relatives' names on that uh, on their ch- on that chip as well. And uh, uh, you know, I know my dad is there. My my grandmother is there. Um, yeah, actually, all my grandparents are there, um, and uh, uh, so indeed, it, it was something that humanized the the rover and really, really gave it a connection with everybody here that that went ahead and had their name on there. And uh, confession, there might be two lovebirds' names on there too, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> 
that is one thing that I love that NASA does is they always try to bring along as many people as possible on their missions. And um, typically there is, you know, whenever a mission is upcoming, there is an opportunity to send your name to Mars or send your name um, to wherever they may be going. So anytime there's a uh, planetary mission on the horizon, uh, make sure that you check NASA's social media because there's probably an opportunity to get your name on that mission. Indeed. And um, one of the other, th- there was a little bit of, bit of controversy uh, in and around the release of uh, photographs on this particular mission. And a few people were kind of grousing out there as far as the immediacy of the, uh, of the photographs or any of the, the raw data that was coming down. And there was a bit of a delay and a lot of people were kind of wondering, is this something that... Uh, uh, is is new now and we're not going to see everything uh, well the floodgates broke open on uh, on I guess late uh, Sunday right after landing and boy have they been coming down so if you just just look up just Google um, perseverance raw images and you'll see all of the raw images over there and I'll encourage you, I believe uh, Dr. Thomas Zerbukin also encouraged people to play with the photographs, uh, to really, really try to to get them to, to look like you know, the, the Martian surface and so on. And he really, really encouraged people to go ahead and, 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 and put them through Photoshop as much as they want to really, really try to manipulate the photographs. Heck, the... Um, uh, I believe during EDL, they tried to go ahead and get the sounds of EDL together. Unfortunately, due to, I guess it was a, a problem with, with communications, they didn't recover that sound recording, but they did record two tracks of what the wind sounds like on Mars. And one track, you can actually hear the whirring of the rover against the wind and the other track has that whirring taken and taken out and thomas zerbukin wondered who was going to go ahead and write the first song that would use those pieces and lo and behold i i don't know who it was i forget who it was on twitter but some um some young lady a composer went ahead and and started playing with it and lo and behold a day later she took up the challenge and and uh and posted a a a song out there i'll have to go ahead and find out who that was but uh um you know there 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 are people just just really really having having a blast with some of the data that that's coming back right now um also something that i we've really been remiss is really what this this mission is all about this is really the one of the first um astrobiology mission really since um the viking one and viking two in 1976 also um there are two um tech demo uh experiments on here one is a um an experiment called called moxie uh the mars hydrogen in situ resource utilization experiment basically they're going to try to go ahead and make oxygen from uh the uh the the atmosphere of mars uh, i love this mission name right (laughs) i mean there's just just so 
there's just so much going on 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 this mission plus this is the first leg of the mars sample return mission perseverance's mission is, is to go ahead and collect 30 samples that will be put into small tubes and left scattered on the surface of uh of mars and a small fetch rover some years from now is going to go over there pick up the, these samples return them to a a a sample return uh uh launcher and we will have the first launch from another planet um on that mission that that the samples will be returned to an orbiter and then sent back to uh to the earth somewhere in about i believe it was mentioned the 2031 time frame so uh this is this is a, a spectacular mission and i am i am remiss for all of you aviation buffs we're going to have our first wright brothers moment on another world there's a small helicopter in the underbelly of the perseverance rover um called ingenuity and we are going to go ahead and have the first helicopter or the first sort of drone-like device flying on Mars sometime this spring. They're going to be going... That's one of the first things that uh, Perseverance is going to try to do. It's going to try to find the, quote, helipad area to deposit ingenuity. Um, it will be deposited very slowly from the underside of the orbiter. I mean, the orbiter, the um, the rover. The rover then will back away slowly, and then take images of Ingenuity in flight. Ingenuity itself has two, um, I believe, two cameras on board um, to go ahead and also record what it's seeing. So this is going to be really, really a spectacular flight for for so many reasons and the ingenuity helicopter again if it works can be that technology could be ported over uh for once humans get there it could be used as a uh, a scout to find out what's what's going on up ahead it could be used to dive into areas where humans can't go ahead and take a look and explore it could also be used as a as a communications uh you know, signal bounce bounce off. You know, so, and not just applicable to Mars, right? This sort of technology right. is likely to be used on other planetary missions. Um, so it's an important, an important technology to be able to test it out uh, on Mars, on somewhere where you're te- testing it out in situ, right? So exactly. I mean, we've got Dragonfly, which is also a large drone that's going to be sent to the planet to um, to uh, to Titan. Um, so it, it's it's sort of a test run from there. And I'm kind of wondering in the back of my head, is the Ingenuity team kind of collaborating with the folks on Dragonfly and trying to share data, you know, along those lines? I'll bet you they are. So this is this is going to be an exciting uh, deal, not only for the Mars Perseverance team, but also for the I, I think also for the Dragonfly team. Yeah, I mean, this is an exciting moment, like for us, sort of. The idea of ingenuity on Mars and, and powered flight on another planet, it's so new and fresh and exciting. Uh, but I can't help but think, you know, 20, 30 years from now when this is just going to be the norm, that every landing mission on another surface, whether it's a moon or a planetary body, will carry something of this sort to to 
to perform all those functions that you listed. Um, so it's very exciting to be at the cusp of sort of testing new technology um, on other planets. And to give some to to give some insight too, no pun intended, because we do have a lender out there named named Insight. But the uh, t- I, we really didn't mention how big this this beast is. Um, it's about ten feet long, uh, nine feet wide, and about seven feet tall. It weighs about, uh, according to the press uh, kit here, about uh, two thousand two hundred and sixty pounds, or uh, 1,025 kilograms on Earth, at least. So, I mean, this thing is like the size of an SUV, folks. I mean, it, we're not talking... It, to, again, we, we mentioned before the sort of evolution of the rovers from um, the uh, the Sojourner rover on the Pathfinder mission all the way to Perseverance and that little, you know, that fa- little family portrait that's on there. You could tell we've these rovers have grown up since since Pathfinder uh, and 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 this particular beast as well is just probably the most capable uh, science device we've ever, we've ever put on Mars. So uh, and we've is, learned a lot about rover wheels since then too. That's true. Uh, that's you know that's exciting going from sort of Spirit and Offy to curiosity and now to perseverance um, we've learned a lot about how to design wheels to function on mars yeah that was you, you, it's funny that you you've you've gone ahead and say that because the tires and the wheels they were sort of uh the achilles heel for for curiosity these are changed a little bit in a in a big way so um these particular tires so uh, they'll, they'll be able to take a f- far more punishment, and plus, and we really haven't talked a, a little bit about the the landing site either, um, in and around Jezero Crater, and why that 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 site was selected. Um, and this is this could may have been the site for for an uh, an ancient lake bed and 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 river delta and all all of it so the idea really is to try to see if we could find anything at least on the surface or under the surface that uh, uh any evidence at all for possible microbes on on the either on the martian surface or within the martian surface so that's basically what we're looking for we're really trying to find out if life existed elsewhere at any time during the solar system's evolution and if you know we do find evidence of fossilized microbes or something like that it it's going to i guess the way uh, dr carl sagan put it in 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 cosmos was sort of deprovincialized biology but it also gives us the the whole hope that you know hey we're not alone you know, life does form elsewhere, and we may actually confirm it on uh, on Mars, at least from from fossilized, uh, uh, you know, from fossilized uh, information here. So, fingers crossed on the whole mission. It's going to be an exciting, exciting couple of years watching this this rover run run around Mars and seeing what it what it finds and and uh, and. I'm 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 just chomping at the bit, along with a, lot, a bunch of other folks, uh, to get these samples back in uh, in 2031. If I can go back one second to ingenuity, uh, sure. Two quick things about it. One, 
Uh, I cannot wait for a the greatest drone selfie ever uh, of the <laughs> rover from that. Yes. Just from the millennial on the panel. And uh, <laughs> second, uh, I just am listening to the conversations here talking about sample return missions from Mars with powered flight from a drone helicopter on the surface of another planet here. When we started this show 12 years ago... This sounds like the plot for that terrible TV show that I can't even remember the name that we talked about in the first episode, let alone reality Define 12 years gravity. later. <laughs> yes, it sounds like a plot would, that would happen on that show, complete and utter fiction and trash and garbage for that matter. But uh, I never would have in a million years thought that here we are now on the surface of Mars with the ability to hopefully grab some core samples that can be returned from a former river delta while also having powered flight all in the same mission. Yeah, I, I mean, I I just ingest uh, with all of the space news that has been coming out of late. I mean, it's it's like you know drinking from the fire hose, and uh, um, <laughs> I still remember after shuttle folded. Um, Gee, what are you guys going to talk about after that? Yeah, I don't remember any of that either. Do you, Sawyer? I mean, wow. No, between all of the private companies, the commercial companies, all of the craziness going on now. And yeah, and we had, since then, we had Curiosity, and now we've had uh, Percy. Although, I know, Mark, you're not a fan of calling Perseverance Percy. So, we kind of forget the the humanity of all this but the rover they had a contest that started at the end of august of 2019 and a little over two months later the contest closed and this was for k-12 students to name the rover there was a judging period of a couple of months then there was a public poll and people from all around the world were part of the public poll and then a name was was picked the uh, young student was a seventh grader from Springfield, Virginia, Alex Mather. He submitted a winning essay. It was selected from over 28,000 entries from every state in the U.S. I kind of feel like calling Perseverance Percy is a bit of a, a little bit of disrespect for all of those students that really gave a shot to it now here's his essay curiosity insight spirit opportunity if you think about it all of these names of past mars rovers are qualities we possess as humans we are always curious and seek opportunity we have the spirit and insight to explore the moon mars and beyond but if rovers are to be the qualities of us as a race, we miss the most important thing, perseverance. We as humans evolved as creatures who could learn to adapt to any situation, no matter how harsh. We're a species of explorers, and we will meet many setbacks on the way to Mars. However, we can persevere. We, not as a nation, but as humans, will not give up. The human race will always persevere into the future. Words of 7th grade student from Springfield, Virginia, Alex Mather. He brainstormed for two weeks before submitting his uh, what became the winning entry. 
and he was inspired by the path of previous rovers in describing characteristics as a species. He said participating in the contest changed his life. I got more involved with model rocketry, 3D printing, and other STEM-related activities. How does it feel to have his entry chosen? He said there are no words in the human language that can accurately describe the feeling. So some of what we're talking about, and, and Percy as a nickname is fine, but I think Perseverance has a just a immeasurable amount of meaning and having that name chosen is going to change his course uh, in life. He and his family got to see the launch from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station last July on my birthday. I almost missed it. I got absorbed with other things and hate to say it, but sometimes I miss the space stuff. But I really appreciate this little bit and this was from nasa's website there was there's other places you can uh read about it there was actually a article on space.com march of 2020 prior to launch and uh, it talked about the contest going from over 28,000 down to 155 semifinalists down to nine finalists from which the uh, selection was made. So the student that wrote this, Things That Can Change Your Life, he fell in love with space science and exploration after attending a space camp in Alabama the summer of 2018. Space camp always comes back so often as being a real game changer for young, young people and the effect it has in their future, their education, their careers. So go space camp, go Perseverance. <laughs> Mark, I was just re- recalling to something I believe it was Matt Wallace uh, had indicated during the uh, the press conferences during the whole thing. First off, before I start that, yeah, I agreed to you with, with Space Camp. I think there's actually a few current astronauts that are graduates of Space Camp that are actually out there right now. But um, uh, Matt Wallace, again, he's the uh, Perseverance uh uh, deputy project manager he said during one of the press conferences you know when the ma- name came down he was like yeah okay whatever and uh you know it just didn't really it, it didn't really resonate with him um then the pandemic hit and that really changed his tune as far as the name of the rover because it was sort of the the catchphrase if you will for the entire mission from that point forward uh all of the work they had to do in these just unprecedented times everything they had to had to figure out to go ahead and make this mission work through the pandemic through all of the the guidelines through the the social distancing and so on through trying to keep their his team safe uh it, it was just the right word and the right tenor for the entire mission so i have to have to agree with you wholeheartedly uh, on on the name, it actually turned out to be uh, rather prophetic, if you will, uh, going forward. Now, on the lighter side, of course, I don't think we can uh, make that come back the way we were, the way we were doing before we hit record. 
uh, we came up with, you know, well, hey, if we're just going to call Perseverance Percy and Ingenuity Jenny, why not call, you know, and and name it? Let's. What were some of the things that we were tossing out there? <laughs> I'm trying to remember now. Apollo Mark. Eleven. We had App Eleven. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, you know, I believe the Apollo Eleven became Low Eleven. Yes. Low Eleven. That was Something, it. All right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, instead of Gemini, we could just call it Jim. <laughs> I'm just. Yeah, and, and oh, we could sit here and ad lib this all night. <laughs> there, there was my thought that if you're going to shorten it from Perseverance to Percy, just call it P. <laughs> yeah, because honestly, which, which opens a whole new window that I'm not going to crawl through. Exactly. <laughs> we want to keep our clean rating, but but seriously, you know. To the young people that, and I remember meeting uh, for Curiosity's launch, I met the young lady that named Curiosity. Yes. And I told her and her family, and I've said this on the show before, I said, I feel like I should have a t-shirt. I met Clara Ma. Yep. And uh, these are special kids. Really, done, They've really done a, a good thing. I mean, to put in all that time and effort and just reading what he wrote is so eloquent. You forget sometimes that, you know, these are school-age students that we're talking about here that are writing things better than any of us could probably write if we sat down for hours and hours thinking about it. And, I mean, it, it does make sense. I will, every now and then, I'm sure, slip and still call it Percy. But just hearing that makes it go, you know what? Perseverance, ingenuity... It just fits. Oh, I think it has a lot of meaning, a lot of depth of meaning that I didn't realize until I went to look at this. And I was just thinking about it purely from the selfish perspective of if I was the one who named a rover, I would want my name used, not just as a headline for a few days and then thrown off to the side for a nickname. You know, I would be proud. I would be proudest if the name stuck. And I do just have to say that something really cool um, about Clara Ma, the person who named Curiosity, is that she's, you know, still doing some really cool things. She's researching um, and working uh, in renewable energy and the, the effect of ensuring that we have renewable and sustainable practices here on Earth. Um, so it's really cool to see what the kids who name my rovers grow up to be. And I've been very privileged to watch um, to watch Clara's journey um, as she's grown up over the years after naming Curiosity. And I'm sure Mr. Mather's got a similar journey ahead of him. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what uh, what he does in the future. It is also hard to believe that Clara named that rover about 10 years ago now. So, yes, she has grown up immensely and it's again like you said it's amazing following what she's doing now mark i want a copy of that t-shirt it's in the mail i think we all want one (laughs) so we are going to continue to follow the perseverance and ingenuity missions and we hope you will as well with us and on all their social media platforms and uh, yeah, go ahead and check out some of the images coming down. Manipulate them yourself because they send down the red, green, and blue, the black and white. So you can have some fun with it. And uh, we're excited to see this mission, which again has a duration of a couple of years, but is most likely going to go beyond that if all goes well. So best of luck to the entire Perseverance team. 
So let's move on now to uh, some really quick big space news that came out uh, actually right around the day of this recording, March 1st, 2021, uh, and it involves Rocket Lab, which we've talked about before, launching typically out of New Zealand and mentioning that they were eventually going to be launching their Electron rocket, which is mainly for small sats, eventually out of the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport in Wallops Island, Virginia. Well, it may not be the only rocket they're launching out of Virginia. They announced their next-generation vehicle, and we had Electron, so now we have Neutron. Yes, Sawyer. First, um, as as you had mentioned, the news broke very early this morning. Um, The Wall Street Journal reported that uh, Rocket Lab was near a deal to merge with another another company. We later learned that was uh, that was Vector. Um, raising an additional $470 million and finally valuing the company at uh, $4.1 billion. Uh, Then we learned, too, that the company planned to go public on the NASDAQ at some point. Um, And then finally, the announcement of of the Neutron rocket, which uh, Peter Beck kind of had in a, a short video about he uh, basically went ahead and literally ate his hat because he said that they would not go ahead and and go this route. And he said, jokingly, if we ever do that, I'll eat my hat. So he went ahead, put his hat in a blender and went ahead and took it out and had some, some hat afterward. Um, did not taste good, according to him on the video. Uh, but he announced the Neutron launch vehicle, uh, which it sounds to me like it will be a di- direct competitor, if you will, to Falcon 9 and perhaps even uh, Jeff Bezos's New Glenn uh, launch vehicle. Um, and he intends to, uh, to human rate the vehicle. And from what... Uh, uh, I believe it was Christian Davenport from the Washington Post uh, had a very short conversation with um, with Peter Beck afterward, and he essentially discovered that they're actually talking about flying. Yeah, here it is. They're 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 talking about actual actually flying Neutron out of the um, pad at. Uh, NASA wallops adjacent to the one being used by Electron, which was the exact quote, excuse me, which was the exact quote. Now, that can only mean uh, Launchpad 0A, which is also being used by by Northrop Grumman to launch the Antares uh, launch vehicle uh, carrying Cygnus, uh, which, by the way, launched earlier, Cygnus, uh, the uh, Cygnus NG-15 mission. Um, named after uh, uh, Catherine Johnson, who um, was uh, one of the uh, the human computers, if you will, from uh, uh, Hidden Figures. In fact, she was the one that was actually checking John Glenn's numbers, and he Glenn insisted that she run the numbers, and he was not going to fly without her. Okay, and uh, the. Uh, the serendipity about NG-15 was that it flew on February 20th, which was the uh, the uh, day of uh, 
of uh, John Glenn's flight. But anyway, moving right along, um, this uh, they are apparently talking about, you know, it launching from pad zero a again where antares launches from uh antares as this audience knows launches sickness which is uh sending logistics to the international space station so it that's going to be an interesting little pad sharing arrangement i'm wondering how uh the mid-atlantic regional spaceport is going to handle that um the, uh, Christian Davenport went on to say that Wallops would be the primary base of operations initially, but uh, uh, Peter Beck expects that it could expand elsewhere, depending on the mission profile. Um, he had also went on to say that they are looking all over all over the country for a manufacturing site, but they're also saying that they could expand the footprint at uh at wallops so this would be really really big for for the eastern shore if this progresses as described um they're hoping to fly um electron as sawyer you pointed out out of wallops extraordinarily soon but they're waiting for uh for nasa to sign off on on some of the paperwork and this is really exciting news for the uh uh, Mid-Atlantic Regional Space Spaceport and the Virginia Space Coast in general, um, but there are some details in the back of my head that I'm thinking about, and um, you're going to have to have a, a pad sharing arrangement first with with Northrop Grumman on on Launch Pad Zero A. That's one. Two, uh, do you use the existing uh, horizontal integration facility or HIF that's being used for Antares over there or does Rocket Lab go ahead and build a new one somewhere within the vicinity of that area to go ahead and integrate um, uh, Neutron and the other thing that that I have in the back of my head and this is kind of like the unpleasantness of, of space flight what happens if either or has a bad day if you will, and knocks out pad zero away the same way that orb three kind of did um, back in, uh, I guess, what well, was about 2014. Um, you know, what do you do in that instance? Who's responsible for replacing what and so on and so forth. So there, there's a lot of stuff that, that still has to, I think that both, warring parties have to figure out and is there going to be some sort of sharing arrangement but on for pad zero a between northrop grumman and rocket lab and you know that would i guess be up to the um mid-atlantic regional spaceport to kind of work out but also from a from a facility standpoint what's what's going to occur the other thing too is that i know northrop grumman is trying to look at cygnus as kind of a fleet a free flyer where you know people can uh, place autonomous experiments on board the vehicle and it could also become a launcher for for CubeSats at different altitudes. So it's something that the CubeSat community really doesn't, excuse me, really doesn't have right now with, with the other boosters. So um, it's 
you know, you, you've got Northrop Grumman possibly going ahead and expanding Cygnus to include, um, you know, paid for experiments, paid for autonomous experiments that can be flown and paid for um, CubeSats that could be deployed at any altitude and so on. So you've got that going. Plus now you've got, you've got possibly a a new tenant over there trying to bid for the same same launch pad and for the and i don't know what what launch frequency they're expecting neutron to fly out of so that that's another question too there's a lot of questions about all of this and i know i'm getting into the weeds here and i'm probably putting the cart you know ahead of the horse but these are just some of the questions that just popped up in, into my head about this entire arrangement so it it's gonna get a little you know a little crazy i think but um it it's also an extraordinarily exciting time for for uh uh, the folks in and around uh, Chincoteague and, and the Eastern Shore, and it's going to get really busy, and there's going to be really a lot of opportunity. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what occurs with Rocket Lab on the Eastern Shore, and also with this little sharing arrangement they're going to have to work out with Northrop Grumman. It's 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 going to be a very very interesting and exciting time and and we'll be watching all of it and bringing it to you. It's very exciting. And if you haven't watched the video they released kind of outlining what the neutron's going to be and their plan, it's entertaining and very interesting and uh Twitter and social media is already a buzz about the SpaceX style comparisons to it. So uh, there's a lot to dissect with this. It's going to be very interesting to follow and see how that develops. So keep an eye on that and uh, we'll bring you more as we learn more. All right. So our final topic tonight is the inspiration for mission. You've probably heard about it. There were commercials for it. If you live in the United States, even during the Super Bowl, the contest has officially ended as of when we're recording this on March 1st is partly why we're choosing to discuss this now, uh, as that way we can say we are not supporting any individual. We have not supported any individual during this contest. We have remained neutral. Basically, it is the first all-private mission to space. So there will be two open seats as of right now on board the mission to go into space, and it's sort of created a little bit of an interesting contest. Gene, if you can help explain it, then we'll get into why this is such an interesting and slightly controversial topic among the space community. I'll give it a good try, Sawyer. Um, uh, Dr. Cat, too, has some very interesting insights, and I'm really, really looking forward to, to having her share that. But just for the bare bones, um, Jared Isaac, Isaacsman, is the founder of uh, Shift Four Payments? I'm guessing it's it's sort of like a uh, a PayPal kind of thing for um, entrepreneurs and so on. And that's basically how he's made his billions. Um, he's about 37 years old, and he's decided uh, to buy uh, a seat for himself on a Crew Dragon mission that SpaceX has made available. Uh, it looks like the the, uh, the Crew Dragon Resilience will be the one which is up there right now uh, attending the Crew-1 mission. 
Um, that one looks like it's going to be the one used for this particular purpose, but that's neither here nor there. He's decided to go ahead and buy not only a seat for himself, but for three others. Um, one, he wanted to go ahead and signify hope. And that one, he wanted to go to somebody that was battling the pandemic, somebody that was, was on the front line. And that has gone to a young lady by the name of Hallie Arsenault. Um, she is a uh, uh, pediatric cancer survivor. She survived cancer at age 10 and now um, is a uh, frontline worker at uh, St. Jude's Research Hospital. Um, so she is going to be representing those who are battling the pandemic. There are two other seats available, one that represents generosity and another one that represents prosperity. The generosity seat is being raffled off to anybody that had donated to to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And I guess the the tickets were being thrown into the pot based on how much you, you had donated. If you donated um, at this level, you got X amount of tickets and so on. And as you increased your donation, you got more tickets to go ahead and and put into the, to the raffle. So that is basically for, you know, and, and all the proceeds going to, uh, to St. Jude's. Uh, that's basically for anybody that's really, really interested. The other one um, seat is to go ahead and represent prosperity. And it was to go to anybody that used um, the, uh, the shift four shop to, basically launch their dream so anybody that used uh isaacsman's platform to launch a uh, an entrepreneurial endeavor and um we're still waiting to hear who those two individuals will be there was a huge lobbying effort on the part of several ind individuals that were really really trying to to win that prosperity seat um i know my dms overfloweth with uh, uh people that that wanted to get in on, on that particular part of this and um well in short my whole my whole deal on this is really really mixed and 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 uh and Kat, i'm gonna throw it over to you because you, you're kind of echoing some things that i think a lot of us on this on here we're also kind of scratching our heads a little bit about with reference to this whole thing and i'm i'm gonna let you, i'm gonna throw the mic over to you and you can kind of describe your your thoughts and and i'll just i'll, I'll chime in when when appropriate but a lot of what you were saying was was really really um really kind of what we were all sort of thinking so it the uh, mic's yours go for it sure thanks gene so for me from the announcement of this contest i sort of had mixed feelings about it obviously it's supporting a great cause and i think the the overarching idea um, of this first all civilian mission as an inspiration is excellent. But the problem is, is who is able to be a part of it? 
right? Um, it sort of reinforces some issues with equitable access and justice that are already within the space community just um, because of the high barriers to entry, whether that's um, low-income students and, and others here in the United States or developing nations around the world. Uh, space has a pretty high um barrier to entrance, especially when it comes to um, getting on a spaceship as an astronaut. Uh, so this this contest sort of reinforces those lines of class and privilege. Um, the people who have the most access to sort of be a part of this contest are the people who already have large followings and have um, access to this. With very few exceptions, many of the entrants into this are, are white people, and most of them come from an, uh, a background of economic privilege. They've already sort of had access to the opportunities um, that give them a leg up. So this is supposed to be, you know, celebrating entrepreneurship um, and sort of entrepreneurial generosity, but there is a huge tradition of entrepreneurship within the Black community, and it is almost not represented at all within this contest because this contest is sort of preaching to acquire in some ways of the people who are already at the top. Um, you know, and there are some exceptions to that, most notably Dr. Cyan Proctor, um, who is a black woman of color who is um, thrown her hat in the ring. And there's some other um, aerospace students who were people of color who've thrown their hats into the ring. But again, like I, I, I look at this and it's, and it's hard to critique because it's doing like what it's supporting is doing a lot of good, right? The shift horse shop, um, you know, is benefiting St. Jude's and St. Jude's does phenomenal research. It treats children, um, childhood cancer, uh, when people can't afford it, you know, they don't ask for payment and they still give the same world-class treatment to everyone. Um, but again, for me, it sort of just reinforces um, this idea as, as space as, as uh, when it comes to traveling to space and even, you know, space tourism, this is not something that, that regular people are going to be able to enjoy and afford anytime soon. It's sort of like zero G flights, right? Like it's fairly easy to access, well, outside of a pandemic, you know, you can get on a zero G flight, but a zero G flight costs, you know, three to $7,000. Most people don't have that sort of income line around where they can say, oh, I can just spend three or $7,000 on space. Um, you know, a we might see in the next 20 to 30 years the cost of a suborbital flight um, get down to that. But again, most people aren't going to be able to, to afford that. When you look at a orbital flight, which is what you know, Inspiration 4 will be, it'll be um, a longer duration, the first all-civilian flight. You know, that price is not in our lifetimes probably going to get down to an affordable price for anyone, um, aside from, you know, the top 1% of people, people who have continually gotten more rich during this pandemic, while the gap between, um, between them and sort of the rest of the world has widened. I love the idea behind this contest. I love that, um, it is about being an inspiration and that there's this idea that space should be a place for everyone. But, you know, you can't divorce it from the fact that although the, there are these lofty ideals, it sort of meets the reality of space is still not for everyone and it's not going to be for everyone. Uh, in fact, I recently last week attended a um, conference called uh, Commons in Space looking at um, 
do we treat space as a global commons? Is that even the right way to look at space? Um, and for those not familiar with the term global commons, uh, these are sort of spaces which are not owned by by anyone. So we can think of the high seas as being a global commons, the air, um, the Arctic is often considered global commons, Antarctica, um, with very few exceptions. So this comes against this idea of, you know, while these spaces are in name for everyone, you know, spaces for all humankind, uh, in practice, they really are closed off for a, a large percentage of the population on Earth. And contests like these, you know, again, while lofty, and I love um, the idea behind it, and I've loved listening to the stories of the people who've thrown their hats into the ring uh, for this seat represented generosity, it cannot help but also highlight the stark divide that still exists um, within communities who are able to access opportunities like this. Um, so without targeted um, recruitment into less represented communities, you know, those communities will never be here. And so like my biggest fear is that this turns into, you know, an all white mission, right? Um, which I don't think would be an inspiration to many people. <laughs> Uh, perhaps, you know, there's a, there's a group of people who that would be an inspiration to, but it would be very hard for me to look at a, a mission that sort of is full of economic privilege, uh, and see that as, as an inspiration, uh, despite the fact that some of these have, some of these people have very inspiring stories. Um, so that's, that's sort of where I come from here that I have, I have mixed feelings about this. Um, I mentioned in our pre-show that I had listened to a clubhouse of um, some of the people who have thrown their hats in the rings and they all had like really inspiring stories. Um, but also a lot of them had a lot of help, you know, sort of where they came from. They already came from a position of economic security. Um, and so it's a lot easier to sort of throw your hats into the ring for things like this when you're not worried about losing a job. Um, but if you're, you know, most people who are living paycheck to paycheck or during this pandemic are living on unemployment, um, which may be running out soon again, um, it's sort of hard to, to look up from where you are to be inspired by something that's just so far removed from, from where you live. Um, so we haven't really talked about like my dissertation work here and I, and my dissertation is wide ranging. It goes from sort of uh, the micro level to the macro level of political communication. But my last article does discuss like what, you know, what do we have to do now as we are moving out into space to ensure that space is somewhere that ensures just and equitable access for everyone on earth. And to be perfectly honest, we're not doing the sort of um, introspection that needs to be done now at this point to ensure that um, right now sort of the path that we're on is is prioritizing um, people who um, and practices that uh, don't prioritize ensuring that everyone has access so that's my that's my soapbox thanks for coming to my ted talk and those are my mixed feelings about inspiration for i love the idea uh, but perhaps not the execution and full disclosure, I'm one of those people, by the way, that is probably going to go ahead and, and that you were talking about, Kat, who's, uh, who's uh, um, currently, because of the pandemic, got sidelined and 
in in kind of kind of rough shape. It it it, it kind of hurt not to be able to go ahead and participate into the into the generosity area of this because, quite frankly, um, it would have been nice to just you know throw some sh- shekels to uh, to St. Jude's right now because of the work they do. And uh, the way I put it on Twitter was, you know, even no matter how much you you decided to contribute, even even the bare minimum, if you're you're contributing to uh, a children's hospital that's trying to combat children's cancer and is not really looking for compensation from the families on this and is, is really, really trying to go ahead and do what they can um, for these children um, through donations, then, you know, you're to, in, in my, my book, you're already a winner, if you will, um, in, in that respect. But yeah, I mean, I'm. I have to go ahead and and echo your thoughts, Kat. You you kind of really much more succinctly than I can. Uh, really went ahead and 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 really stressed what what I think, at least what I was thinking on this whole thing. Sawyer, what if you have anything to add? By all means, and and Mark, please by all means chime in. Uh, I'm with you guys on this. It's very mixed. I mean, it's a great mission, a great concept, and like we were talking about, St. Jude's is an absolutely fantastic charity and deserve all the money that they're getting from this, hands down. There is still that concern, though, and I know we were talking about this before, but I, when I was looking at all of the people submitting their applications and seeing everything on social media and, like Eugene, getting a whole bunch of DMs asking for people's support, I remember looking through the candidates, and I don't think myself I saw a single person of color. They were all, you know, white. A lot of people I knew were quite privileged, and... They were the ones that were doing their best to, you know, get the word out and trying to share their effort, which, again, it's for a great cause, but you need something that can represent everyone. I mean, if you look at even the crews that we've been launching, we're finally starting to get some diversity, so we should see the same thing in this mission, in my opinion. Yeah, you, um, both of you make make excellent points, and indeed, I I can't I I'd I'd be uh, uh, remiss to go ahead and um, point out that uh, you folks were correct, and there really wasn't anybody of color. And yeah, my my DM overfloweth with um, folks, and I just because I do this program here, I I, I felt that. Maybe I didn't really want to go ahead and and do any endorsements or anything like that because I do this program here and trying to maintain ob- objectivity and 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 so on. So that was that was really my problem. There's a there were a hand there were like a, a few people that I really wish I I could have gone ahead and given a shout out to, and uh, there were a few that you know I you know. But, between us us folks here that you know i probably wouldn't have but um uh, uh again both of you made, made made excellent points on this and i i cannot disagree at all with any of the points you folks have made and i think that this really echoes a, a broader problem that that doesn't get enough uh, conversation within the broad space community. And there are some really great 
um, niche communities that, that discuss this. Um, there's some organizations and some people who are, who are working on sort of this issue of, of just and equitable access to space. But it's not something that comes up within our broader conversations, except for in the, in the conversation regarding diversity and inclusion. And that's just making sure people are represented. But, you know, this goes so much deeper than representation and it, and it um, requires those who are at the top of, to sort of reach hands down and make sure that, that they're doing everything they can to ensure um, that space is there for everyone to access. And we just don't do that enough um, in general in the space. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, the major space players, the majority of the people in power all look the same. Um, I saw someone you know, mentioned on Twitter that Bill Gates says we need like a hundred more Elon Musk. And then uh, someone else responded to that and said, no, we don't need a hundred more Elon Musk. What we need is governments who are responsible and are making decisions that ensure equitable access for all. And and I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, we we're, haven't talked about this in this episode and I'm trying not to get us on a tangent, but um, when we look at like space regulations and what our governments are doing, you know, how how do we make regulation and how do we have national and international governance that ensures access that doesn't recreate some of the problematic power structures that we already have that have really, especially as we've seen happen during this pandemic, um, made the divide between the have and the have nots or the developing countries and developed nations um, much wider than it should be. So that's like for me, this whole you know inspiration for it's just, it's mixed feelings. It's the, the best way to describe it because, you know, space is so inspiring, but sometimes when I look at what's going on in space, all I can see is the people that we're still leaving behind. And Kat, you just hit it, and which is why I wanted to bring it up tonight. Not a lot of people are talking about that, that particular subject, and that's one of the reasons why we're talking about it here. Um, and the, uh, the regulation that you're the regulations and all that that you're pointing out i've been sitting in on on some panels and so on as for as a fly on the wall and that's just going to have to be a, a another show for another time because i really want to get into the nuts and bolts of that with you on uh, on some of the uh, the re- regulation and so on that i'm i'm seeing out there and and so on so um, I really, really want to go into the weeds on that at some point. Um, Sawyer, I think this might be a good place to go ahead and call it a night. What do you think? I think so, but of course, if you have any of your opinions, we would love to hear your thoughts on this. You can always tweet it at Talking Space or to any of us individually. We have our email, mailbag at TalkingSpaceOnline.com. But again, the best way is to reach out to any of us individually. We'd love to hear what you have to think about this. And with that, that does bring this episode to its conclusion. I'd like to thank everyone who joined us here tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. It's always a pleasure to do this, Sawyer. And again, if anybody wants to go ahead and reach out and talk to me at any time, given time my twitter id is genejm29 out there on twitter um shoot me a dm um tell me i'm crazy tell me i'm nuts or or tell me that i did a good thing whatever and uh or if you want to shout and ask me a question about anything we talked about here by all means throw throw it out there and i'll try to clarify 
Well, I'm fortunate I have this platform to call you crazy, so thank you, G. <laughs> <laughs> thank you as well for joining us, Kat Robinson. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And thank you as well for joining us, Mark Ratterman. And a good time was had by all. See you next time. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will join us next time. And as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are.